love, and grace. And every picture I've seen of him in his late life has such a sweet smile. And I'll look at it and thinking, the pictures of me are more like, you know, you know, the, the jacket over my head and that sort of thing. You could tell the gospel really hit him hard. He wrote, It is my opinion that some may be saved who have done all they know how to do, but have never learned of Jesus or have been honestly mistaken about some of his requirements. He went so far as to say, You know, I think God will even save those that haven't heard of Jesus but did the best they could with what they had. You want to talk about a journey? That's a big journey. Sounds a lot like Paul, actually, in the first part of the book of Romans, when he talks about those without the law who live under the law as if they had the law, are respected by God. He also talked a lot about the difference between gospel and doctrine, and I'll be honest with you, I've read so much of what he wrote, and the first four or five years, my eyes would cross, and I'd go, get to the point. What's the issue? But the point was, the gospel's the teaching of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Doctrine is a teaching of the Bible to the church. Therefore, a person could be saved by believing the gospel before they heard the doctrine, and the way he put it, belief of the report made concerning Jesus is obeying the gospel, climaxed by manifestation of that faith by baptism. He'd gotten to the point where he'd said, baptism is required, but you can be saved before. Because you believed it, you believed in Jesus before you knew of baptism. And he got ostracized and attacked. And that's where I'd heard his name. Garrett would write in 1965, 1965. Men like Dr. Criswell, Bishop Martin, and Billy Graham proclaim the glad tidings of heaven. They may err in their instructions as to how men are to respond to the gospel, just as we all err in many things, but they are as much preachers of the gospel as any of the rest of us. That was 50 years ago. God was already at work in our, our fellowship to bring us back to what the Campbells and Stone and O'Malley and Haggard and Rice, uh, I'm sorry, Rice and all, uh, yeah, it was Haggard, sorry, uh, and Johnson and all the others had started us being. As I said this week in Arkansas, in Arkansas and the Ozarks, and I don't, I'm not trying to, to be dismissive of Ozark culture or anything. I'm, what I'm trying to say is, you normally expect things like this to start in urban, liberal environments. But God is doing this everywhere. There was an ecumenical movement that some of you remember. I was born really too late to be a, know much about it. But in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, there was a big push by denominations, mainstream denominations, to find ways to talk to each other and to unite us. The National Council of Churches of Christ, for example, which has no relationship to us at all. It just meant all the churches. They tried really hard and failed. What they failed to do by human organization is being done by the Spirit of God today. And I thank God almost every day that he let me live long enough to see it. I can remember in Detroit the day my daughter stood up in front of the church and read a scripture, and my wife and I, tears hit. And I turned to her then, and I was very serious. I meant it. I said, I could die today. 
I have lived long enough. I, can, I could die today. We, we have seen God at work. I see him at work every Sunday here. I had several people today tell me how much they appreciate and how much they're just thrilled that I'm here. And I'm going, do you have any clue how happy we are to be here? We're veterans of these wars. We, we've got scars all over us from these wars. And to come to a place where the shepherds are behind us instead of in the way, and to come to a place where the leadership of the church is interested in love and prayer, not in conformity. Albert, what a blessing, is it not? That we have lived, to, and Nancy, what a blessing. We have lived to see this day. So these men began to write. I'm a bit warm as well. And somebody gave me Jesus on a stick today. They actually went and got a funeral fan. And I was so excited. <laughs> if, you, if anybody needs to fan, we have learner plates <laughs> from last week. These men began to, um, to write. The Mission Messenger and the Restoration Review. After this elder talked to me, by the way, I read everything I could by Carl Ketcher's site. And I wrote a letter to Leroy Garrett and said, how do I get Restoration Review? It had been written since the 50s. And this big crate came free, every one of them. That's what I did for a year, as I read these things. About that same time, somebody said, have you ever heard of a guy named Cecil Hook? And I went, no. Um, they said, let me give you a book. And they gave me a book. And I went, hello. <laughs> Who is this guy? And by the way, his son is here today. We're honored to have you, and thank God for your father. Thank God for your father. If you don't know these names, by the way, almost everything they've written is free online now. Just Google Leroy Garrett, Carl Ketcherside, Cecil Hook. They're not in it for money. They're not in it for fame. It's just right up there for free. Um, very much like we put our lessons up for free. Oh, I have to tell you this. Everywhere I went in Arkansas, people know of this church. They listen online. My Twitter feed this morning, people were saying, we're driving 14 hours listening to Patrick Mead in 4th Avenue the whole way. Now that we're driving seven, I'm, I'm going, are you being punished? <laughs> but the hunger for freedom is such, and I'm sure Josh Graves and other people's Twitter feeds are doing the same thing. This isn't a Patrick show. I'm, I'm a, a very minor player on a very big field. And that's what excites me. Because I don't ever want it to be about me. By the way, the right organized against these. Some teachers at Harding, Abilene, and Lipscomb were forced out because they started trying to teach freedom. The church lurched to the right again in the 40s and 50s and the 60s, and it lost a ton of members. Up until the 60s, we were the fastest growing religious group in America. In the 60s, boom, we started going down. Flavel Yakely now says that we have somewhat stabilized, but that we are still not baptizing as many as we're losing. So what do we do? Or the, what, what caused all this lurching? Somebody unretired. A guy by the name of Foy Wallace Jr., remember him? 
He came out of retirement. He had personal issues with almost every preacher and writer in the Brotherhood. He angrily stopped his paper and stepped back for a couple of years. He refused to talk to his son for 22 years. I know a little bit about what that feels like when a father does that. His friend, James Adam, wrote of him, his friend, quote, he found it difficult to forgive and forget injuries, real or imagined. To be guilty of a personal transgression against him was to him a mortal sin. Such a person became his enemy, and with him, his enemies could do no good, and his friends could do no evil. And that's his friend that wrote this, his biographer. He was being honest, but painfully so. Wallace spent the rest of his life fighting Garrett, Catcherside, Hook, and those on the right as well, fighting everybody. When he died, he was fighting modern translations of the Bible, and he was questioning the salvation of churches that used them. If you use something other than King James or the American Standard Version of 1901, not the new one, the one of 1901, which, by the way, is an incredibly accurate translation of a horribly faulty text. So it's a horrible manuscript they used. Uh, use the new one. Anyway, um, when he died, he, was, he said if a church used any, anything other than those two, they couldn't go to heaven. I was such a part of that that I can remember being in France, worshiping, and then looking in the back, and their pews, their Bibles weren't King James. They weren't French translations of King James. They had their own king that translated theirs. And I was wondering, am I in an okay church? Because I had to read everything Wallace wrote by the age of 12 and be quizzed on it. And because I got the kind of brain I've got, it won't go away. <laughs> if I read something, it's there. And so, anyway. And if you remember correctly, um, by the way, N.B. Hardiman's spirit, remember, in the 20s or Lipscomb in the late 1800s was far more loving and tolerant, even though they were conservative, no question. We had lurched so far to the right. Then the world went nuts in the 60s and 70s. Social order broke down. The Churches of Christ had been largely Democrat to that stage. What? Because they were Southern heritage. They were Democrat. What? drove them to the right politically was John F. Kennedy. They could not stomach the concept of voting for a Catholic. And so the papers and the books, I remember tracts, can a Christian vote for a Catholic? I remember those. If you don't know what a tract was, God bless your life. <laughs> I had to read those too. Uh, reaction against his Catholicism, and let's be honest, against the civil rights movement. We had a lot of racists in charge of our churches. Lipscomb still has, you can see the outline of the brick of the old doors where the black students had to go in that door. And that only after they were forced by the government to accept them. Do you remember that instead of accepting them into Lipscomb school, they started the Nashville Bible School for them. We, our church then ran to the Republican uh, side of things. Pendulum swinging in the other direction now, and that terrifies me as well. Churches should not link arms with the state, whether left, right, center. We don't do that. 
we rise above them. We have a citizenship in a different place. But the Vietnam War, the ARA, Civil Rights Movement, Rubel Shelley was fired when the Sunday after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stood up at his church in Memphis and begged for us to love one another, black and white, and to worship one another. That afternoon, they fired him. That's what started his rethinking of things. Since the 1960s, the church has remained in crisis, but as you've seen, we've always been in crisis. Many would say it was that way since 1864, but now it was out in the open, and many was wondering why so many of us were losing and leaving the faith, and Ketcherside put it this way. We have built walls around ourselves to protect what we believe is vital to keep others out, but we have forgotten that it is inside those walls and not outside them they who are in prison, I'm sorry, let me read that again. It is those inside the walls and not those outside them who are in prison. A legalist is one who thinks that we are under a written code and relate to God because of our subservience to it. As a legalistic institution, the Church of Christ currently resembles a police station more than a prophetic kingdom of heaven. Most of us would say amen. But most of us would also hurriedly then say, but that is changing. And not just at Forth and Otter Creek and of Sycamore View and of places like this. It is changing everywhere I go. There were churches that, that maintained websites against me five years ago that now are asking me to come speak to their elders. The elders are asking. And for me to come talk to their churches about navigating change. By the way, I'd tell about 90% of them no. Why? I'm here now. I'm try I canceled more than 70% of my travel so I could stay here. Um, after a while, you're going to say, you know something, you could travel more now. <laughs> but that's where it is for the now. Garrett was more gentle in his writings than Catcher's Side. He still is, by the way. Uh, he wrote, we were separated from others but not exclusive from them. He wrote this. And I know my time's running out. I like to end you on time, no matter if we start late. Separated but not divided recognizes that because of tradition, race, social status, personal preference, or long-standing theological differences, they are there and we are here, and that's not likely to change in a foreseeable future. But still, because of our common loyalty to Christ, and can there really be any other test? we can recognize and treat each other as equals in Christ and perhaps do some things together. In reaction to this, Ira Rice Jr. wrote Acts at the Root, volumes one, two, and three, and started his paper contending for the faith to mark and destroy any who would try to speak of love and grace. I knew him well. He has sent met God, and I truly hope he's in heaven but I fear for anybody who spends their life beating up God's kids before going to see him. Um, I still pray he's in heaven. Rice is dead. Wallace is dead. Their followers are still here. They write letters. But they're in the minority. And you might be shocked at what the minority is. Recent surveys of members of the Churches of Christ find it is a very small minority of members who believe God has any interest in whether we use an instrument or not. 
you will find it is a very small minority who think we're the only ones going to heaven. The problem is our public reputation will lag a generation or two behind the reality. Correct? The churches of Christ have given a lot to the religious world. We gave people the freedom to go back to the Bible and to read it for themselves and believe it for themselves, and then we took it away, but we're giving it back again. We gave to the world the sacraments. I think that is one of the greatest things we have done. We gave them the Lord's Supper back. It was no longer reserved for clergy, no longer reserved for the solemn. It was given to anybody. We gave them back baptism. It used to be, and in many churches still is, you're not baptized until you're baptized by the right person. We've said anybody can baptize, and we've proved it recently by even allowing women. Assuming there's not a testosterone requirement to the lowering and raising of a human body. <laughs> women seem to do all right bringing people into the world. Perhaps they can do all right bringing people into Christ. Our past arrogance is mainly that, past, and you need to know that. You may struggle believing it because you live in Nashville. This is our Jerusalem. This may be the last place to change, but even it is changing at a rapid pace because the Holy Spirit of God will not be quenched. And I choose to be on the right side of history. I cannot guess what he plans for us. I do not know that in a hundred years there'll be a church with the Church of Christ's name on the front. And I will tell you this, I do not care. As long as the work of Christ is moving forward, who cares what it's called? And as long as we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ and live that way, redeeming every moment and every conversation, then the Lord wins, and so do we. Thank you for taking this trip with me. Next week, I will be grilled. No, it's not like that. Trace will hit me with some hard questions, so I've seen some of them, and I don't know how Cammie's going to answer them, but, uh, it's... <laughs> but until then, remember, we're all learners. Go away.